Well, we're wrapping up our series this morning, uh, a series that we've been in for many weeks now called Created for Worship. And as we started this study, this series on Sunday mornings, our goal was to remind us of the priority and the importance of what we do on Sunday morning. So when we gather and we get up and we come to church and we have fellowship and we hear the word of God preach and we pray and we confess and we sing, which the singing this morning has been phenomenal, um, when we do all of those things, it matters. It means something. We just don't do worship on Sunday morning just to do it. We just don't sing and pray and confess and hear the word of God preached and even the benediction as we talked about last week, the sending of God's blessing. All of those things matter. All of those things mean something. And our prayer and hope is that as we worked through this series, that we would understand that what we do for an hour on Sunday morning is simply a snapshot of what life is to look like Monday through Saturday. That the worship that is experienced on Sunday morning carries with us throughout the rest of the week that we understand that this is actually what we've been created to do. What we do on Sunday morning flows into our businesses and families and communities and neighborhoods and wherever God has placed you. And you understand, I have been created to worship the very God that created me. And so we conclude this morning by looking at Psalm 67. And as you're turning to Psalm 67... A little background on this passage. Psalm 67 is a psalm of David, but it's a future vision. It's a vision that David has of the future. It's a future vision of what worship will be like and how the people of God respond properly to worship. What David is envisioning is currently, as David is writing the psalm, worship was just for who? It was for... Israel was for the nation of Israel, but he is envisioning a day where worship will not just be for the nation of Israel, but as we will see in Psalm 67, worship will be for all people. And what he sees in Psalm 67 and what we're about to read this morning is what David is envisioning the proper response to what happens when the people of God worship. When people worship together, there is a response. There is a, resp- there is a transformational response that happens in the life of a person who encounters and is captivated and captured by God. And we see how the people of God respond here in Psalm 67. So Psalm 67, we'll read the whole passage together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Amen. A few years ago, there was an article 
published by a research group out of New York City. And this research group studied hundreds of affluent families in the city. And some of the common denominators in all of the affluent families were families with children. And these were the things that they found in these families. They found that these families gave their children three things in particular. Three things in particular these children had. Number one, complete financial security. Two, excessive freedom to learn and explore via technology. And three, a provision of, wide, a provision of a wide range of opportunities for recreation. Complete financial security and freedom. Freedom to learn and explore with no boundaries via technology. And a provision of a wide range of opportunities for recreation. And you might go, that sounds like a great family to be in. Isn't that exactly what we'd want for all of our kids? Well, as the study progressed, these were the results. As they tracked these kids through adolescence and their teenage years and eventually through their college age years and well into their adulthood, this is what they found. It resulted in this. Apathy, laziness, inability to commit to goals, low self-confidence, insecurity, and entitlement across the board. Laziness, apathy, entitlement, insecurity, lack of commitment to goals. And what this study shows us this morning, and what hopefully is eye-opening to us and a reminder to us, is that when we give our children, forget about just children, when we give anybody something to buy into that only revolves around themselves, they will perish. They will rot. If we do not give people, our children, our family, the people in our lives, something bigger than themselves, a vision or a cause bigger than themselves, they will rot and perish. You see, what we looked at and where we ended last week was what? We are blessed to keep it all to ourselves. No. We are blessed to be a blessing. You see, when the people of God worship, they are blessed. But we do not worship to keep it to ourselves. We are worship, and when the people of God worship, there is a response that is appropriate. And it's the blessed to be a blessing. You see, the people of God, as we read here in Psalm 67, when people truly worship, there is a response to that worship, to be a blessing in light of being blessed. You see, the true worship of God produces a response. And as we wrap up this series this morning, the only question left for us is if when we worship God truly, in spirit and in truth, there is a response, and that response is what we call the mission of God. You see, ultimately, worship produces mission. When my heart, when your heart, is so captured by God that we recognize God as the one, the only one, of supreme worth and value, it produces mission in your life as a response to the greatness of God. And so what does this response look like? What does the mission of the people of God who have worshipped God look like? So let's look at Psalm 67 this morning. There's three things that it tells us about the mission of God in response to the worship of God. The first thing is it gives us the scope of mission. What are we actually called to do in light of worshipping God? Well, it gives us a few things here that 
spell out for us the scope of the mission, the scope of our calling. The first thing that we see here in our calling and the mission of God is to share the truth. Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Now that we have received the, the, the reality and the truth that there is only one hope for this world, there is only one hope for people that are dying and perishing, there's only one that can make a way for the forgiveness of sins. That truth can't just be kept to ourselves. That truth needs to be shared. The the first part of our mission, our calling, is to make this known, to make this Jesus known to the ends of the earth. It's a calling to evangelism. It's a calling to be an evangelist, to share not just with the people in this room, but every single person we come in contact with, that there is one who rescues, there is one who saves. And it is my calling and your calling in light of the worship of God to go out, to share with everybody we come in contact with who this Jesus is and what this Jesus does. See, it's common in our culture to hear many people say this. I'm glad that you believe in Jesus, but please keep it to yourself. And what I would say to that person is that not only is that not what I'm called to do, but it's actually the opposite of my nature. It is actually emotionally unhealthy for me not to share. What do I mean by that? Imagine if somebody brought to you something that could absolutely transform your life. Unlike anything you've ever encountered your entire life, could you imagine somebody telling you, now emotionally, just keep that to yourself? No, see, when you encounter something that transforms you from the inside out, when you experience someone who rescues you and changes your life like Jesus, it would be the opposite of what you are designed to do as an emotional human being to not share it with others. See, when Jesus transforms you, and changes you, you can't help but to share it with others. You see, part of our mission is simply carrying out what is happening to us emotionally. It's emotionally inconsistent, emotionally, emotionally unhealthy not to share with people this Jesus that has changed our hearts, that's changed our lives. Asking Christians to mind their own business is asking someone to do which no one else does when you encounter someone or something that totally transforms you. That's why, as a church, we are committed to the ministry of reconciliation. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians, who calls the church to be ambassadors of reconciliation, allowing people to know that, yes, there is a God, and you are not God, and that you are separated from God, but that there is a man by the name of Jesus Christ that reconciles God and sinner together. That's why we're committed to the ministry of reconciliation. It's the first thing that we're called to do. The second thing in our scope of mission is in verse 3. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What, what, what is David saying? He's saying that the, the worship of God, the praise of God, can't just reside in the tabernacle. It can't just reside with us. All the peoples around the globe, what David is calling for is global worship. What he is saying is our mission is to gain more worshipers, to add more worshipers to the kingdom of God, that the worship can't just be contained to the people in this room this morning, that every person 
needs to hear about Jesus and that God will take people from every nation, from every tongue. God will take people from every nation, tongue, tribe, to create his kingdom which praises him that the praise is not the praise of god is not just for regulated to the people in this room but it is for the entire world that our calling is to add to the kingdom of god those that are worshiping god the scope of our mission is to add worshipers So not only are we called to share the truth that Jesus is our only hope, not only are we called to gain more worshipers, but look at verse 4. The third thing that we're called to do in the scope of our mission in response to the worship of God is to do justice. What does it say? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you judge with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. You see, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And our people need to know the people in our lives and in our neighborhoods and in our communities are living in brokenness and living, as we talked about a few weeks ago, with that dark cloud over them. You might be living this morning with that dark cloud over you. But they need to know that in a world and in a life that seems unjust and unfair, they need to know that there is a judge that judges and rules with equity and fairness. You see, this is why as a church, we are committed to the renewal of all things. Not just seeing people reconciled to God, but through that, being motivated through that to bring justice and renewal and healing and beauty out of brokenness. That's why we stand with the marginalized. That's why we stand with those that have been marginalized by our society. That's why we stand with the homeless and the widow We stand with the unborn. We stand with those that have been cast off by our society. It's why we stand with the least of these. Why? Because it is our job in order to be a blessing in light of our being blessed. In order to be a blessing on behalf of the king, we need to be able to take the blessings of the king. We are agents and ambassadors of the king, of the kingdom of God, going out saying, experience the blessing and the riches of my King, this is what we are called to do as Christians, signaling to the world that God is on his throne and he's making all things new, signaling to the people in our lives that truly it might not look like it today, but truly the best is yet to come. We are the king's people taking the blessing of the king and blessing others. So the scope of our mission, the calling of our mission in light of the worship of God is to tell people, share the truth about Jesus, to share with people that they can too worship God, to add worshipers to the kingdom of God, and then thirdly, to do justice, to let people know about our God, that he rules and reigns with equity. So that tells us the scope of mission, what we are called to do. But this passage also tells us the confidence It tells us the confidence of the mission. What do I mean by that? For some of you, you hear things like mission. You hear things like calling. And you go, life is too overwhelming. Life is too hard. I've got a a son that I've been sharing with for 10 years. It just doesn't seem like there's any hope. 
I've got a marriage that's been on the rocks for 15 years, and it just doesn't seem like there's any hope. I've tried witnessing to friends and family members and neighbors and and colleagues, and it just seems to no avail. Actually, when I turn on the news, it just seems like things are getting worse, not better. So how can you sit here today or stand there today, Rob, and tell me that we should have confidence in the mission and the calling of God? Well, it gives us right here, gives it to us right here at the end of Psalm 67, Verse 6 and 7 say, The earth has yielded its increase. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And you go, well, how does that give me any confidence? Very important. The passage in its translation does not say God will bless us. It says God shall bless us. What's the difference? Will, God will bless me, God will bless us, shows intention. It shows motive. But shall bless us shows obligation. God shall bless us. You see, it would be against the very character of God to remain or to do anything that is unfaithful to his calling that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. So therefore, every single one of us, the small business owner, the teacher, the educator, the nonprofit leader, the retiree, the widow, the stay-at-home mom, the pastor, the athlete, whatever God has called you to in life, you do not labor in vain for the sake of the calling that God has placed on your life, that we can fulfill the mission that God has placed on your life and have confidence in it. A friend of mine in ministry, we were going back and lamenting to each other this week. And he actually made, he made the comment, he said, it, it doesn't it always seem in ministry like we, we go one step forward and we go two steps back. Because life is hard. And life is challenging. But then God used this passage this week to remind me that although it does seem like we go one step forward and two steps back in life, in mission and in ministry, and fulfilling fulfilling the call of God, that God's promise is, He shall bless us. Adoniram Judson was the first foreign American missionary to be sent out and commissioned from North America. And he goes out, he's a cynical actor, they say, from New England. And he has this incredible conversion experience. And as he's newly converted and newly married to a woman by the name of Anne, he is sent out. He feels God's calling on his life to go to, of all places, Burma. Burma at the time, in the late 1800s, had never been reached with the gospel. Had never seen a Christian missionary And he goes out into Burma, which was hostile to Christians, hostile to the message of the gospel, goes out to a place, a tyrannical regime, and he goes out and he is committed to sharing the gospel with these people. And as he goes out, he's rejected. As he goes out, he's imprisoned. As he goes out, he's afflicted with disease. As he goes out, he loses his wife, Anne. It says that he went into such a deep, dark depression that he went into depression when he lost his wife, Anne, for three months that he could not move, he could not speak, other than speak these words, God, I know you, but you are unknown to me right now. 
as he sat by the tomb of his deceased wife. Adoniram Judson spent 30 years in Burma. At the end of his life, you know how many people came to Christ? 30 years, imprisoned, afflicted, losing your wife. 15 people came to Christ. You would say, is it worth it? 150 years later, the celebra- 150 years in the celebration of Adoniram Judson arriving to Burma, they celebrated 8,000 converts to Christianity. 8,000 people came to Christ because Adoniram Judson answered the call, the impossible call, the mission that God had placed on his life to go to a people that are unreached. And although he did not see the fruit, the fruit was manifested by God because God's promise is, regardless of what you do, regardless of what you see on this side of heaven, I will accomplish my good work. I will, I shall bless you. God shall bless us gives us all the confidence we need in fulfilling the mission and calling of God that God has placed on our life. So we see in Psalm 67 the scope of mission. We see the confidence in mission. And lastly, what fuels mission? What is the fuel to accomplish the calling that God has placed on your life? What motivates us? Well, you might have missed it, but it's found in verse 4. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. What marks the missionary? What marks the man or the woman that fulfills the call of God? What emotion? Gladness and joy. It is joy that marks the man or the woman who fulfills the answer, that God, uh, the answer of the calling that God places on your life. The mission of God is done out of gladness and joy. But the next question has to be, well, where does that joy come from? Briefly, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This familiar passage for some where the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. I think we have it on the screens. But in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, don't miss this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross? What is the one thing that Jesus didn't have as he endured the cross? You. You. You were the one thing that Jesus didn't have as he endured the cross. And when he thought of you, he considered it pure joy. You see, Jesus, as he fulfills the mission of God by enduring the cross, fulfills the mission with joy so that in response, as we are called to fulfill the mission of God, we can do so with joy. The joy that comes from Jesus enduring the cross, considering it pure joy. You see, that is what motivates and fuels the mission. That is what motivates and fuels the calling of the people of God who have encountered God in worship. The reason we can respond in joy to the mission and calling that God has placed on our lives is because Jesus first responded in joy when faced with the ultimate mission of God, even willing to endure the cross. Some of you might remember 
January 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the Potomac River. 80 passengers are on, are on board. It's January, crashes into the Potomac River. Almost instantly, everybody perishes, except for six passengers. There's six survivors hanging on for dear life to the tail of Air Florida 90 as it's slowly sinking into the Potomac River. Five minutes pass, 10 minutes pass, 15 minutes pass, and there's no sign of rescue as they're hanging on for dear life, literally freezing in the frigid waters of the Potomac River. And then after 20 minutes, finally, out of nowhere, help arrives. A rescue helicopter comes and lowers the rope to one of the first survivors. His name is Arlen Williams. And Arlen Williams grabs the rope. And instead of climbing to safety, he passes it to the next survivor. Arlen Williams sits there and waits. The helicopter comes back and lowers the rope once again to Arlen Williams. And Arlen Williams does the same thing, passes the rope to the next survivor. And he does this five times, not taking the rope for himself for survival, but passing the rope to the next survival, the next survivor, the next survivor, until the sixth time the helicopter comes. And there is no more Arlen Williams. He had succumbed to the freezing temperature in the Potomac River, and he sinks, and he dies. If you go to Washington, D.C. today on the Potomac River, you'll cross the Arlen D. Williams Bridge in memory of his heroism that day. 25 years later, NBC did a story on Arlen Williams honoring his great heroism, honoring his legacy. And they go through the whole story, the plane crashing into the Potomac, the helicopter coming and trying to rescue Arlen Williams and sacrificially giving the rope, passing the rope to every survivor, even willing to suffer death so that others might survive. And it's a great piece on NBC, but the piece ends with the commentator saying, well, in conclusion... We're left with this age-old question. What drives a person to sacrifice his life for others? We will never know. But you do know. For those that are in Christ this morning, you know, you know that there is a man by the name of Jesus who counted it joy to endure the cross so that you might live. Do you know this man by the name of Jesus? I tell people all the time, there's a lot of foolish things you have done in life. There's a lot of foolish things you will do in life. But there is nothing more foolish than rejecting Jesus. And the reason that there is nothing more foolish than rejecting Jesus is because you will never come across someone who sees you as the object of their affection like Jesus. There is nobody you will come across and meet who is the object of your affection, even willing to endure the cross and count it all joy. 
he's offered to you this morning. This Jesus we pray to, this Jesus we sing about, this Jesus we read about is offered to you so that you too can have the gladness of heart, that you too can have the joy that you've always longed for. You go through your entire life looking for a person like this, looking for someone that would look at you the way Jesus looks at you and says, you are the affection of my heart. When I see you, I consider it pure joy, even willing to lay down my life for you. You see, at the cross, it brought him great joy. And if there's anything, anything that will ever melt your heart, it's that.